Genesis 39, we're going to uh, continue in from dream to destiny today. And we know that in for, from dream to destiny, we're talking about the character of Joseph. And you know, the boy with coat of many colors, his brothers threw him in a pit. He got sold into slavery. Uh, he went to Egypt, and for 13 years, he, he endured and he suffered. But there was this hope that God had a plan for him. And he never gave up on God. God didn't give up on him. You know, the Bible says this, is that Jesus, the, 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 whole, the, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the, and the Holy Spirit, says that they will never leave you or forsake you. Amen? You know, this word today that, that uh, Elizabeth had about hope, you know, these songs that we sang today were about hope. You know, if it wasn't for hope, where in the heck would we be? You know, if I didn't have any hope, I mean, you know, they teach you in, in, in just basic survival situations. You're out in the woods and, and you have nothing. But as long as you have hope, you have a chance of making it. But once you give up on hope, they say that people will just lay down and die. And you know what? God has a hope for us. God has hope for us. And we, no matter what we're going through in this life, we need to continue to remain focused on the hope that is Jesus Christ. Amen? And so I want you today to be hopeful, no matter what's going on in your life. And I want you to see today that, that troubles and trials are necessary in our lives. Today we're going to talk about the prison test that Joseph went through. And Joseph went through ten tests, but between the first test and the last test, he went from just having a dream that God gave him to stepping into the destiny that God created him for, and that was to be the second in command of all, pretty much of the, the known world at that time in Egypt. But he was not there for himself to, to have the authority and be the leader. He was there to serve the people and to save them from a seven-year famine that was to come. And God, the Bible says that God has created all of us with a purpose in, in our life. God has created us for a reason. The Bible says as a church, that, that the, the five-fold ministry of the church is, is to equip the body for ministry. You know, to minister means to serve. To minister means to, to help others. And God's created us for that. So, let's go to uh, chapter 39, verse 13 through 23. And we're going to read today's passage that we're going to be talking about. So, Genesis 39, verse 13. It says, as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand. Now remember this, Joseph was a servant in Potiphar's house. He did such an exceptional job because God was with him. And Potiphar put him over all of his household. And it says this, it says, but one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were in there, she caught him by his garment. So we remember last week, the purity test that Potiphar's wife made a pass at Joseph, but he did the right thing and he ran away. And he, but he lost his coat. Man, them coats keep getting him in trouble, don't they? Got him thrown in a pit. Now, now Potiphar's wife has one. And both times they're fabricated lies of what actually happened to him. Because he didn't do anything with his wife. In verse 13 it says, As soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as I heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. 
He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant, whom you have brought among us, came in to me and laughed at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard these words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Poor old Joseph. He didn't do nothing. He ran away from this woman who tried to sleep with him, and he's trying to honor his master, and he gets put in prison. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison, prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. My God, how many times they put prison in us in it? Whatever, has done, whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. In verse 23 it says, The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Why? Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. You see, modern teaching right now would teach you this, that if you do things right and if you do things well and if you obey, you won't even go to prison. This is what's preached all the time. You know, this is the way people's thinkings are. This is the stuff that when, you're in, when, when, when people find ourselves in a prison or we find ourselves in a tribulation or a trial, they do this. They do what some popular preachers would say today. We just don't need to claim this. We don't need to claim what's really going on in my life. And maybe it'll go away. Well, I'm going to tell you this. God will allow trials and tribulations in our life. They're for our good and they're for His purpose. And He's trying to do something in our life. He's trying to do something into our life. You see, God had a plan for Joseph. And in all the, but here's the thing we have to see. is Even in the midst of the palace as a servant, God was with him and had favor on him. Even in the prison that we see here, God was with him and had favor on him. God could have easily just skipped those parts, but here's the thing. God wanted to change Joseph's life for a specific time, for a specific place, and for a specific reason. And we have to begin to live in the moment with God, by God, and let God through us do what he wants to do where we're at. And so, you know, we see here that Joseph, once again, is in a place he doesn't want to be, but God is with him. And, and so what we see, every, every test, all ten tests that we have, the, the, this is like the fourth one we've looked at, but the remaining six, all of these tests that Joseph goes through in his life are about stewardship. They're either about stewarding, you know, in the, I think we'll talk about one, they're about his stewarding of money. They're about his stewarding of his body. They're about stewarding of his responsibilities. But all these tests have to do with our stewardship as Christians. Stewardship is so important. The whole point of God creating Adam and Eve was to be stewards of the earth, was to be stewards of the children that they were to have and bring forth into this world. We were to steward things for God and to God and because of God. 
And so I want to read you, I want you to go to Romans chapter 5, and you can kind of hang out there. But I want to show you here what the purpose is of the prison test in our lives. I want to show you here what we should do, how we should respond. How many of you like to know what the heck to do in a situation? You know, we read the Bibles and we hear, we hear what, what the Bible says, but we, we not only need to hear, but we need to be what? Doers of the Word. We need to know how to respond. But in the midst of all of this, we need to always maintain what? Hope. Hope. Hope that what we're doing is the right thing. There's a reason why we do what we do. So Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say hallelujah. That's a good thing. We have peace with God now. Hey, if you're a, if you're a Christian, if you're a born-again believer, I want you to know something. You have peace with God. He is your Father. He loves you. And even if He disciplines you, He disciplines you out of what? Love. Why? Because it's a sign that you're his kid. So you need, to, you need to grasp that as a Christian. It says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. How many of you have your hope set in the glory of God? Verse 3, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What? Are you serious? Rejoice in sufferings? Gary Stewart, how many of you know Gary Stewart that comes here and preaches you know, about every six months? He's, he's, an, he's an older gentleman, about the sweetest man I've ever met in my life. Have you ever had somebody that you like when you're around him, you want everybody to go away so you could just absorb their awesomeness? And you just like, dude, I like the way you talk to me. You really make me feel better about myself than I really are to you know, every time, every time he calls, either at the beginning of the conversation or at the end, he goes, hey, I want you to know this, that God loves you. God's got a purpose for you. you know, he, I mean, he always tells you that. God loves you. You're, you're worthy to him because of, of, of your faith in him and because of what he's done in your life. But he, it is so awesome. But, but even he said this, is that the church today needs a proper theology of suffering. The church today needs a proper theology of suffering. We need to understand it. We need to know how to respond to it. We need to quit questioning God's love when we do go through suffering. We need to, every time something goes wrong, we need to quit saying, oh, God's mad at me. No, God loves you, and God is trying to work through you, through the Holy Spirit, to change you into what He wants you to be. Jesus suffered. Jesus said, we're going to suffer. Jesus, you know, every time something happens in your life. Now, let me tell you this. If it is due to your lack of repentance, then do what? Repent. Repent. Say, Jesus, forgive me. And stop doing what you're doing. If you're being a, a lousy husband, repent. If you're being a lousy wife. If you're being a lousy parent. If you're being a, a lousy at whatever and it's your fault, then own up to it. But when you, when you examine yourself and you say, God, I can find no fault in my life, and you're honest with yourself, because, man, people lie to themselves all the time. I mean, hey, if, you, if you're doubting, you know, God, I've examined myself, go to a brother that you love and trust and say, hey, do you see anything in my life that I might be doing wrong? 
But if you can't, know this. If it's your fault and you're, getting, and you're being disciplined by God, it's because He loves you. If it ain't your fault and things aren't going your way, know this. God loves you and He's going to be with you no matter what. But God's involved somehow in some way and we've got to trust Him. But rejoice in our sufferings. It says, knowing this. Now, here's, here's the formula, okay? It says that suffering produces, say it with me, endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. There's that word we've been talking about all morning. It says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. But every test is about stewardship. Every test is about what is our response going to be. And the prison test is about endurance. It's about endurance that eventually will, will, will produce hope in our lives. So I, listen, I, want to, I want to look at Romans chapter 5. And those, I want to look at this little formula here and we want to break it down. The very first thing is this, is suffering produces endurance. I think in the New King James Version it says perseverance. Uh, perseverance. And, and they're, they're similar words, but endurance, perseverance, both of them have to do with what? They have to do with longevity of being able to hang in there when all hell assaults. I mean endurance, right? Uh, if you're going to run a marathon, you need endurance. If you're going to live life and, and, and have to deal with some things in life, you've got to have endurance. If you're going to have kids, you better have lots of endurance. Amen? Because kids come out crazy, you know, and they're not the most intelligent beings in the world. You know, we really, I think sometimes we're dumbfounded, like, oh, my God, you didn't know all this? No, it's your job to teach them all these things. And if they're not taught, it's kind of, you know, your fault. So, you know, but you've you got to be, have endurance and patience. You've got to have endurance to, to train your children. You've got to have endurance to, 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 to keep a, a, a marriage together. Nothing happens easy. Nothing comes, nothing just by chance happens. I remember when I went into scout sniper school, you know, there was, obviously endurance has a lot to do with anything in the military. But I thought, well, I went to scout sniper school and I was already in good shape because I, you know, I, I made it through pre-selection and we go to scout sniper school and I'm like, okay, you're all in shape now, but we're going to see how much endurance you got. And it was more than running and, pull-ups and sit-ups and all that other stuff. I remember the first five weeks, we shot every morning at sunrise. We were laying on the rifle range. And by the end of the, the fifth week, you were so tired and relaxed, you, it was really hard to miss because you weren't jerking and flinching and all that because you were too exhausted to do anything like that. You just fell behind the rifle and kind of <laughs> shot. But I remember at the, at the end of that period, they said, okay, we're going to up things a little bit. We're going to go through... We're going to have hell week. And then after, you know, how many, you know, the SEALs do a hell week. You know, well, it, a lot of people that are awesome, you know, in the military do hell, some, some, time, some type of hell week. And, and, and when we got up Monday morning, now this, this was before field week, okay? So this is just hell week. So in hell week, we got up at Monday morning. And until Saturday night, we, got, we were allowed a 15-minute nap. You talk about absolute craziness. You talk about absolute just hysteria. I remember at 3 o'clock in the morning, we would be out digging a hide site, which is like a foxhole, but it has to have a roof. 
It has to be invisible to everybody. It's on the side of a hill. And all the dirt that you dig out, you have to like carry it off and disperse it. You can't just have a landslide in front of your hide on the side of a mountain. Of course, we were all newbies at this, so obviously when the instructors walked out, you just saw these little mudslides all up and down the side of the mountains. And they're like, well, there's one sniper team. There's another sniper team. But, you know, I'm thinking, why, why, why can't we sleep? Why, why, what's up with all this lack of sleep? And I remember, remember people going, I don't understand why we're doing this. And, but I remember, you know, hearing my dad tell stories of being in combat and not being able to sleep for lengthy periods of time. And here's the deal. You're not always granted sleep in combat. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to show us that, look, if you find yourself in combat, which I didn't. I was a Clinton Marine. I didn't get to shoot nobody. You know, what they wanted us to do is they didn't want us, the first time we got into some prolonged engagement and found that we weren't allowed to sleep, that it wasn't a shock to us. They didn't want us going, oh my gosh, what do we do? Hey, hey guys, we've got we to we we pause. I've got to take a nap. You know, you can't shut down a firefight or a, or a patrol to take a nap when you've got something to do. And so we went a week. By, I mean, now we were passing out continuously, but that's not sleep. Because there was somebody there to slap you or shoot water in your face or anything, you know, to wake you up. And it's insane what your body will do with only really about two, about good 48 hours of no sleep. With that much physical exertion, you start going crazy. I was hallucinating. Everybody was. I was chasing people at 3 o'clock in the morning that weren't there. I, was, I remember going back to the classroom, and I'm like, look, there's the other guys. And I would run to chase them, and all of a sudden, they just disappeared into thin air. And you'd be like, whoa, what the heck was that? And then the next week, we went into, into field week. And you go out into the, you go out, you got, your, I mean, you got a dead gum, 80, 100-pound pack on. You got a 14-pound rifle, and they wouldn't let you sling it. You had to carry it around, under your arm like this. They had a little wrist sling. But you would go, and they would only feed you like every two or three days. So you had no food, but you're to, you're to carry this pack and you're to march all up and down God's earth in the, in the hills and all these other places. And they would give you one mission after the next, after the next, after the next. They never gave you time to succeed at any of them. But you were to do your dangest to try to finish. And I'm thinking, wow, this is crazy. You know, that, what's, what's the hope in this? We can't finish anything. But what they were trying to teach us is this is that, look, you have a job, you have a responsibility. And whether you're tired, whether you're hungry, whether you don't even have the right tools to do it, you do everything you can to hang in there and do it and finish the mission. It was all about the mission. And so, but they were trying to produce endurance in us. They didn't want to send us out to combat without any clue of what it was like to have to endure because, they, because once it becomes real... They're, they're, not, they're not there to help you. They're not there to hold your hand. They're not there to, to pull you out of immediate need. You're out there on your own doing your thing. There's four guys behind enemy lines, and you better have some endurance, and you better have some hope that will give you the ability to keep going on. John 16.33 says this. It says, I have said these things to you, that in me you have peace. Now, where's our peace? In Jesus. It ain't in the Middle East. It's not in, it's not in the, the United States government. It's not in a lot of things that we put our... It's not in money. Our peace is in Jesus Christ. It says, in the world you will have tribulation. I don't care who, what televangelist church you go to. 
I don't care what they tell you. You're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. He gets the last say. James 1, 2 through 3 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers. Once again, we're supposed to be happy about this. When you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness. You know, we hear that word often in church. And we hear people get up here and talk about being steadfastness. But what is steadfastness? Well, first of all, you know, we, we see here it, it uses the word tribulation in John 16, 33, and trials in James. But trials, it says, produces steadfastness, and tribulation produces endurance. Okay, now, now to me, it's like two sides of the same coin. We're trying to produce steadfastness, is what God wants in our life, and he also wants us to have endurance. Endurance means you're in there for the long haul, amen? But what is steadfastness? Steadfastness means unwavering. Unwavering. It means you're solid, you're anchored in there. So what God wants us to do is for the long haul to be steadfast, to be anchored in there, to be focused, to be unchanging. The Bible talks about reading the Word. It talks about the church training people up for ministry. It talks about not being wishy-washy or double-minded. The Bible says an unstable-minded man or a, a, a Double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And they talk about, you know, being tossing, wavering with every wind of doctrine. God wants us to know who he is. He wants us to know his word. He wants us to be steady for the long haul. Because we're here for the long haul until Jesus comes. But we know that there's a reason, there's a hope in why and what we do. But a, tr a test, you know, a, a, a trial is kind of like a test. But a tribulation is like a... It's like a hard trial. A tribulation is like a little bit more difficult. It's, it's so like a, a test could be short, but a tribulation is usually long. Joseph took him 13 years to get from the pit to the palace. David, from the time he was anointed king, it took him 13 years to actually become king that he had to endure and put up with Saul and all those things. Uh, Paul, when Paul... Uh, came to Christ, he spent 13 years at Antioch before he actually went off on his missionary journeys. So some of us think, man, this test I'm going through is so long and, and, and so arduous, but here's the deal. These guys went through it for 13 years. You're like, well, mine's gone longer than that. Moses had to go through a test for 40 years. Abraham for 25 years. You know, so I mean, you know, but here's the deal. What, what makes the length of the test? Could it be our response to the test? Could it be our delay of, of, of being steadfast and endurant in the trials and tribulations that God has for us? Because we know this, is that endurance produces what? Character. And that's what we're going to talk about next. God wants us to have character. So number two, endurance produces character. How many of you know that character does not come easy? How many of you try to go to your kids and you're like, have character? You, you have character by not acting like me, like me, you know. Look, Junior, you need to quit acting like your daddy and have some character. I pick and tell daddy about this and people about dad. The biggest butt tunes I get from dad are from acting like him. In his life. 
I'm going to tell you what dad, I, I don't know who the heck dad is anymore from when I was a kid. Watching God just change him and his heart and his thoughts and, and his actions and, and the patience that he has, even with me. But, but when I do, when, but the deal is, is every time I, I act a certain way, and it, it reminds him of what he did at one point in his life, he comes up and says, hey, knucklehead, I did that and it didn't work out. So just don't do that, okay? Let's just bypass this part of your life. Dad tries to speak into my life. And he's trying to say, hey, you know, this is not the way to do that. You know, this is not the way it's going to work out. But it's funny, I'm like, well, you did it, why are you, why are you getting on to me about it? He goes, because I know what it's like, and I love you, and I don't want you to suffer for them things. But here's the reality. For the most part, some things can only be experienced. Some things can only be experienced. And when you look in the Bible, when you look up the word character, the only way that it says you can develop character in the Bible, pretty much, is through endurance. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't come fast. You know, so many, and, and I see this in our life. What we do is we want to promote people too quickly or we want to try to bail, out of, bail people out of the trials that God has put them in trying to develop character, and we try to interrupt in that. Now, that's kind of odd to think because a lot of Christians think this. We're just to help every situation. You know, we, 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 don't, we don't understand grace completely. Here's the deal. God is gracious, gracious enough to not promote you too quickly. God is gracious enough to let you be ready to assume the position when it's time. God is gracious enough to prepare you for that. God's gracious enough to not do it too soon or not do it too quickly. And, and so we as, as Christians, we got to begin to understand this, is that as, you know, as, as leaders, some of you people... Man, I believe y'all have great potential to be great leaders. Some of you pastors, some of you people will be traveling, you know, the world. But here's the deal. God still wants to work on your character. Some of you are sitting there going, man, how come I'm not being, you know, more authority here in the church? Because you still got some character issues. Maybe you're a little flaky. Maybe you got some attitudinal issues or whatever. But here's the deal. You know, the Bible tells that elders not to lay hands on people too quickly. So it's because if you do, then they get blown up and arrogant and puffed up, and then and you just it's all in a mess then. But how many of you people in your life, you, you have people in your life that you try to help and help and help and help and help, and it, it's like it never gets anywhere? How many of you know I'm talking about? Maybe you need to quit helping them and let God do what he wants to do in their life. You ever thought about that? I mean, is God is are we smarter than God or what? And so a lot of times, before we intervene in people's lives we need to ask god what do you want us to do we need to have some understanding we need to have wisdom you know just like the sailors that said that jonah was running in the opposite direction of where god wanted him to go said he jumped on the boat and it said skilled sailors what they do said they rode and how did they row they rode hard but here what was the problem god didn't want him to go that way so it don't matter who you are if if god wants to intervene in somebody's life if God has somebody in a trial to, to, to change them to build the character that he wants you can't throw enough money at it you can't waste enough of your AT&T minutes counseling them you can't waste enough of any kind of resource until they develop the character that God wants them in their life this, and I'm, this is hard as a pastor I, I, haven't, I haven't aced that yet because I've been too I've been too quick to help some people and too long to help others. But, it's, but here's the deal. I, I know this about God. The truth is there. But I tell you what, the way Jesus talks, you've got to think about things. 
Because if we ever think, oh, well, I got it, it's easy, then we're in trouble. God wants us to think about everything we do, about everything that we believe. He wants us to stay focused so that we just don't take everything lightly in our lives. But endurance produces character, and God wants us to be like who? Jesus. In Genesis 40, 14 through 15, we remember that Joseph was talking to the, the butler and the baker. And he says this, Only remember me when it is well with you. Remember he interprets their dreams? Of course, he tells the butler, remember me. There was no point in telling the baker because the baker was going to have his... He was going to be uh, killed three days later. He says, And please uh, do me the kindness to mention to me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. And in Genesis 40, 23, it says, Yet the cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Well, that's kind of messed up, isn't it? He interprets his dream, gives him some hope, pumps him up, and he walks off and forgets about him. You know, why, why wasn't it like two days later that, that the cupbearer told Pharaoh, hey, here's the dream, because here's the deal. Two years later, Pharaoh has the dream. Now, who gave the dream to Pharaoh? God. You know, maybe God, maybe God was like, you know what, I can get him out right now, but you know what, he's still dropping hints. He's like, hey, cupbearer, remember me. He's trying to, you know, it's, it's not a strong form of manipulation, but what he's trying to do is he's trying to rely on somebody else to get him out of it instead of God, and he begins to manipulate. And you know what? The Bible says this about manipulation. It says it is as the sin of witchcraft. You know, we think we, 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 we reduce witchcraft to, you know, magic tricks and all these other things, but in the most, po- most part, what witchcraft is, it's trying to manipulate something outside of God to make happen what you want to happen. You've got to trust God in his timing and his way to do what God wants us to do. So Joseph, you know, I think God said, you know what, he's, he's, he's still trying to manipulate. Things. Now Joseph, Joseph had a great heart through this 13 years. Joseph had great character. He stayed with God. But there was still this little thing here. He was trying to manipulate a situation where he just needed to rely on God. But God's grace allows perfect timing. God knew there was a time when Joseph would be ready to be promoted to the destiny that he created him for. Third thing is this, is character produces hope. And let me tell you something about character. Character, how many of you know, how many of you know that character is how we act? Right? Character is how we act, correct? But is it also not how we react? You see, a lot of people, they do good things, whatever, but they don't respond well to other things. So character has to go beyond who we are, it has to be how we respond to situations. You know, some of us, you know, we do pretty good, but man, something goes on, man, we blow up. And now with Facebook, everybody sees what your response is to the situation. Y'all have got to quit respond. Hey, look, look, I'm a human being. I get my drawers in the night. I can get mad. I, I, don't, I haven't punched a hole in the wall in a long time, but I sure have wanted to. I'm not saying that those, those feelings and those thoughts are there. And I've got people i got to go talk to and say, look, I'm going to show you what my heart looks like so you can know the real Chad because I can't do this in public because, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll think, oh, my goodness, he's a bad pastor. I mean, I get mad, I get angry, you know, but you, you cannot respond in a bad way to things. 
You can't lose control of your character and just act a fool and expect it to go well. But what's sad about it is this. It's like the people that get our goats, and I'm speaking from experience, the people that make us act like a fool are the most foolish people that we know. We shouldn't even credit them. With, with, we shouldn't even uh, acknowledge them with our response. You know, I've, I've talked to several people this week. You know, there are people in our lives that it is quite okay to say, look, I love you and I forgive you, but uh, I ain't going to be seeing you no more. Because every time they come into our life, they just create hell. And we need to learn how to walk in character. And we need to learn how to respond correctly. Because here's the thing, Joseph, what, did Joseph do the right thing or the wrong thing by running away from Potiphar's wife? He did the right thing. But did he suffer for it? Yeah, he suffered for it. Will you always be rewarded in this world for doing the right thing? No. Peter says this, if you're going to suffer, suffer for doing good. Suffer for doing the right thing. But you know what? Uh, Joseph could have went to prison. He could have got mad at God. He could have got mad and said, I'm here for no reason. And I can't believe it. And he could have got mad and responded wrongly. And he could have blamed everybody, become this great victim, but he chose to love and serve God. He, 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 what happened? He kept his hope. He kept hope in the midst of everything. Proverbs 13, 12 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Once you lose hope, it's all over. And we know this about Joseph. Is even, even though he was in prison, he still had a good heart. Why? Because he was serving people. He was loving people. He was caring for people. The, the cupbearer and the baker, he said, look. He goes, I want to interpret your dreams for you. He was trying to help people. He could, he could have very easily with his gift, he says, and I ain't helping nobody. I've been helping people for years and it hadn't helped me yet. I've been telling people their dreams and it hadn't blessed me yet. But you know what? He continued to serve and to love people. And, and this is what we need to understand. Hope is not that God will deliver you from a circumstance, but that he will go through the circumstance with you. We've got to quit being mad every time something happens in our life. We need to seek God. Everything is to press us towards God. Everything is to make us trust and, and walk with God to a deeper level. And the last thing I'll tell you is this, is that hope produces appointments. Appointments. How many of you are waiting for that time in your life where you're going to step into your destiny or, this, or this, this promise you feel like you've been given through the Holy Spirit or you're waiting on something that gives you hope? If in due time we remain faithful and trust God and do what He says... There's a time when we're going to be able to walk into that hope. That hope is going to become a reality at an appointed time that God has prepared for us if we trust Him. If we trust Him. If we obey Him and let Him do what He wants to do in our lives. So once again, suffering produces what? Endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And here's, the, here's, and here's what it says. And hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not put us to shame. What does that mean? It means that having hope in Jesus Christ does not put us to shame. In other words, there's a payoff. Amen? There's a reward. There's actual, there's actual substance to, to, to show for the hope of our endurance in the character that Jesus 
is put in our lives. I remember going, you know, going through sniper school. I remember, you, ever, you know, when you first go through there, you never knew what you were going to do. They were going to thrash you. They were going to starve you. They were going to keep you up. They were going to deprive you. And, and I remember it was so dreaded, but I remember at the end, we would actually, the, we came to a point, those of us that made it, those of us that graduated, we had such a hope and a determination that we're going to graduate. We said, whatever you put in front of us, we're going to do it. And not only did we did it, we would laugh and we would joke about it. We would be doing some of the most painful things. We would be doing some treacherous things. And, and, and you, just, this, you develop this just sarcastic, crazy Marine Corps humor to where you just begin to you know, make jokes about it and laugh about it because you knew that you were going through it for a reason. You know, rejoice in your trials and in your tribulations. You know, uh, Elizabeth was talking about, you know, Ab uh, President Lincoln, you know, relinquishing slavery. But just you think of all the songs that those people sing, especially the believers, that as they would work in the fields, they would sing songs of hope about Jesus, even though they were being beaten, even though they were working, you know, in, under miserable conditions, and they were, their families were being separated. Some of the greatest songs came out of that time because these people had hope no matter what they were going through. But the New King James Version says this, it, it, you know, ESV says, does not put us to shame, but the New King James Version says this, it says, does not disappoint. Does not disappoint. I want to prove this, that, that hope produces appointment. So we see here, but grammatically, if you read that, hope, it says this, is does not disappoint. What does dis mean? Not. So what it says is, says, does not not appoint. So what does it basically say? It does appoint. It does appoint. So we see this, that hope does appoint in our life. You know, we're, we're, all, going, we're all going through tribulations in some way or another. We're all going through trials of some test or another in our lives but the Bible says this, and I just showed it to you, that hope appoints us. Hope has an appointment in time for your future. Hope has a promise through Jesus Christ of, 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 of not, and, and godliness, the Bible says, is not only good for this life, but the life afterwards in the eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. But hope has an appointment for you. And so what we need to do is, is that we need to understand that trials may come and that tribulations may come, but you need to focus on the hope that is within you. Peter says that you need to be able to give an answer to any man that asks of the hope that is in you, that is Jesus Christ. It's not money, it's not fortune, it's not fame, it's not athletic kids, it's nothing outside of Jesus Christ. And when that hope is within you, you can endure the trials and the tribulations that come in this world. That Jesus said they will come. But you can say, I have a hope. And when you get your eyes clearly on what the Bible says, you can begin to walk with character. You can begin to do the right thing. You can begin to respond correctly to the foolishness of the world around you and quit acting like a fool, but begin to act like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ that shed his blood on the cross for you to have a hope despite the way this world responds in all situations. Mm. Genesis 46 through 7 says this, When Joseph came to them in the morning, now he, he came to the, 
the cupbearer and to the baker. He says, when he came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. What were they? They were disappointed. They were put to shame. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They were without hope. They were put to shame. And Joseph was there to speak into their lives. But we get disappointed when we feel we missed an appointment, when we feel like we missed an opportunity. What we need to do is this, is that God in his graciousness, he knows when it's time to promote us, to bless us, to move us forward, to do whatever. We need to quit sitting in our situations going, God's mad at me and he doesn't love me and God's not doing what I think he ought to do. No, he's not because you're a knucklehead and he is all infinite wisdom. Amen? I'm a knucklehead. See, if I call myself a knucklehead, then you can't be mad at me because we're all knuckleheads. God, We've got to trust God in any and all situations. Don't feel disappointed. We need to respond correctly and say, God, I don't know what's going on right now. I've examined my heart. There's, there's, there's nothing I'm just doing that's disobedient to the best of my knowledge. But God, I'm going to trust you, amen, that you know what's right for me. I'm going to trust you that you're going to take care of me through this situation. I'm the, I know, God, that trials and tribulations are not just important, but they're necessary in my life as a believer. And then I'm going to go through them. But you can either go through them alone, or you can go through them with Jesus. Let me tell you something. When you go through them with Jesus, Jesus has this extension called his body, and it's full of people who are believers. You see, Jesus, he is, he is the body. He is the head of the church. But the Bible says that he has a body and it's all the believers, and it's all these people in this room. So when you walk with Jesus, you walk with his family. You walk with his people. And we're here to help you and love you and take care of you through any need that you can come to in this life. The last thing I want to tell you is this, is Joseph and Jesus. You know, we talked about Joseph being a type of Christ. Now, he's not the only type of Christ. Moses was, uh, Ezekiel was, there, you know, there's... And it doesn't mean that they are Christ, but they, their stories resemble the, the Jesus to come. You know, the, the Old Testament was nothing but a telling of what Jesus was going to come to do, of what he was going to be like, of what he was going to accomplish. But, but just like Joseph, Jesus was numbered among the prisoners, us. Jesus was numbered among the prisoners, us, just like Joseph was. Um, Joseph, the two men, one was, one was to be condemned, the baker and the cupbearer, was not going to be condemned. Jesus was between two thieves. And one of them was condemned to hell, and the other was condemned to eternity in heaven. Why? Because he believed. Uh, one man said, remember me. The other one didn't say. Joseph told, you know, the, the cupbearer, remember me. But let me tell you the difference between, Joseph, between that man uh, who Joseph said, remember me when you leave today. He didn't remember. But that thief looked at Jesus, and he said, remember me. And Jesus looked at him and says, today you will be with me and my father's house. Because here's the thing about Jesus. is Jesus doesn't forget. Jesus doesn't forget who you are. And your relationship with him. But people may forget. But Jesus never will. So don't put all your trust. Don't put all your faith in people. Put all your trust and faith in Jesus. For the hope that you need to endure. Because Jesus said there'd be days like this. So I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes.
You know, in a moment, we're going to take up the offer for the, for the graduating seniors, but I want to do this today. I believe, I know. Why? Because I'm a pastor, and I get phone calls. And let, me, let me tell you something. Never feel ashamed to call me, okay? Never feel ashamed to call me about whatever's going on in your life. I'll try to do my best I, I can to help you. But, but I know this, is that some of you are, will talk about your problems, and some of you won't. Some of you people are closed-mouthed, and you don't want to talk about your stuff. But here's the deal. There's some of you going through trials, and some of you going through tribulations. But I believe this, that you have a hope who is Jesus Christ if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. Where's your hope at today? Smart, but nobody's looking. How many of you are going through trials and tribulations? Amen. Several people. How many of you want Jesus to go through this tribulation and trial with you? Man, we could be talking about anything right now. We could be talking about marriage. We could be talking about finances. We could be talking about all kinds of things. Might just be talking about you. But Jesus loves you. He says, Satan wants us to think that things aren't going so well. Jesus doesn't love me. No, it's quite the opposite. Jesus loves you. I read to you earlier that we now, God loves you. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. But you know what? Some of you feel hopeless today. And I'm going to tell you that. This, that isn't theologically correct if you're a believer. You shouldn't even be thinking that. And so what I want to do is this. Is I just, I just want to pray for you today. If you need to walk in the hope that you should be realizing today. And I want the rest of the church to be praying for you as well. I want to just pray for you today as a, as a body. You know, I said to walk with Jesus is to walk with his body, his people that should love us and encourage us and to protect us and, and to be there for us in our time of needs. The Bible says that we're to rejoice with one another. We're also to mourn with one another. Now, you know, we need to mourn with each other in our, in our situations that we go through, but we need to rejoice too in this, that Jesus has a purpose, and Jesus has a plan, and Jesus has a way. And I want to encourage you and I want to push you on until that plan comes into fruition in our life. If today you need prayer for hope, if today you need prayer for endurance, come today. And I just want to, you know, just pray for you. Those of you that raise your hands, come on right now.